My parents were really great in kind of emphasizing that, you know, ADHD is like, it's not necessarily a disability, but just kind of an indication that my brain works differently and that to be able to thrive in environments where the world isn't really set up to really be compatible with that, you have to be dedicated to work on the things that you're not as strong at and then ultimately being able to thrive with the things that you are. Welcome to the Parenting ADHD Podcast, where I share insights and strategies on raising kids with ADHD straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, ADHD-aholic, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I'm really excited today for Ari Sokolov to share her story of growing up with ADHD and how she's found success with all of you who are parenting kids who might be struggling right now, might be trying to launch into adulthood. And Ari's going to give, I think, a great insight into maybe your child's world or a little bit of what it's like. Thanks so much for being here, Ari. Will you share who you are and what you do? Sure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm Ari. I'm currently a 20-year-old student and also app developer. I previously founded The Trill Project, which was an anonymous social network for mental health support. And we had about 100,000 users in over 42 countries. We were recently acquired by Blue Fever, which is a similar app that also helps with emotional support specifically for Gen Z. So that's currently what I've been working on and also have ADHD as well. That's amazing. You've accomplished a lot already at 20. Thanks. (laughs) Do you want to start by, I guess, just telling us a little bit of your story? What was it like for you growing up with ADHD? Sure. So I pretty much was first diagnosed, I guess, with ADHD when I was 10 years old. I always had a lot of trouble in school, specifically with kind of making careless mistakes. I was always kind of put in the top math classes and placed higher academically, but often would kind of be put back into other groups just because I would pretty much like add numbers and make them like one plus one would be four just because I wasn't, you know, paying attention. And then subsequently that kind of matriculated into other classes such as English where, you know, I wouldn't see different periods and that sort of stuff. And then it was suggested to my parents that I would be tested and found out, you know, that um, I did have ADHD and also was slightly dyslexic. And it pretty much kind of made everything that I'd been experiencing in school make a lot more sense. I was had a lot of trouble with organization and the executive functioning deficit. And ultimately was then, you know, given some tutoring and the proper, you know, accommodations within school that really helped me kind of mitigate some of those issues. Yeah. Then eventually I think for me specifically with coding app development, while, you know, I kind of lag behind in a lot of reading and a lot of the other kind of components in school, just because my brain didn't work in the same way that I think a lot of others did. Mm -hmm. I really found coding was like a great outlet for my ADHD because everything kind of taught me organization in a way that still allowed me to have structure and creativity and just worked really well with the way that my mind worked and was able to, you know, hyper-focus. And, you know, when you're debugging things or kind of going through code and really needing to solve a problem, it really helps when you're able to have hyper-focus, which is kind of a side effect of my ADHD specifically. And ultimately found that that was like a really powerful way to create more technology that helped others. 
I started by creating websites and then eventually when I was 13, created an app um, because I really wanted to attend Apple's developers conference and was able to go there and be able to be exposed to a group of other app developers who were really passionate about solving the same sorts of problems. Mm-hmm. And it was really great because I got one-on-one guidance with Apple engineers and really was able to continue my journey through app development. And then, you know, it was a scholarship winner four times over. One of my projects specifically was focused on creating a playground or a coding program that taught kids with learning disabilities, such as myself. I found people with ADHD kind of have a lot of natural tendencies that make them really great for coding, um, you know, hyper-focus being one, mm-hmm. and just being able to have, you know, that kind of creative mindset or think about things in a different way that helps solve problems that other people don't really encounter. But, you know, we often struggle with collaboration and organization. So I created a program where, you know, you were able to, using Swift, which is Apple's development language, be able to learn how to create your own personal planet and then ultimately with like a friend or a buddy, be able to kind of like coach your way to visit to it. And so it taught collaboration and kind of those sorts of elements as well. Sounds amazing. So that's been my journey so far with ADHD and coding. And how did you discover that coding was a good fit for you? So when I was eight years old, I accidentally went into the wrong classroom (laughs) and uh, ended up uh, in the summer school program where I was supposed to take this photography class and it was kind of in a computer lab. And I went to the wrong one and ended up being in the computer science class instead. It was a classroom middle schooler, so I was pretty young, but luckily the the instructor let me stay and I just really loved it. And then just continued coding after that, creating websites. My mom bought me a bunch of books and also found some from the library on how to do web development. And consequently, got into app development, wanting to attend Apple's developers conference and create apps that would kind of create a way to impact others within their mobile devices on a larger scale. And so what would your advice be for parents who have kids with ADHD who are kind of struggling to find their thing? I think sometimes it takes kids a long time to really figure out what sort of strikes that fire for them. Definitely. I think that um, something that really helped me was just being able to be lucky to have really supportive parents that were always wanting me to kind of try out everything. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, I pretty much did every sport imaginable. I you know, did every after-school activity that was pretty much offered and even kind of in my weirder interests such as coding that most other kids weren't doing. They would just always support me through when it was the holidays, like buying me different books or resources to continue to work on that. And I was living in Arizona at the time when I first started coding and there was something called hackathons where you kind of are able to go to code for 24 hours and they're mostly held at universities. So I was in high school and I'm pretty young and my parents would drive me there and support me through that. So honestly could not have been able to be where I am without them. Yeah, I think just my parents, you know, encouraging me with all the opportunities that um, was able to kind of be exposed in that way. I think just also another thing that I found, you know, not personally with me, but that has been lucky with me, but also have heard from other, you know, friends with ADHD and from like other, I guess, like tutors and whatnot um, in school, that something that I guess I had that a lot of other kids didn't that I think helped with my success was just being really motivated to kind of overcome my difficulties with ADHD Mm -hmm. to then, you know, be able to work on what made me, I guess, more successful or what I felt really passionate about when I was 
first doing like tutoring at my school, like I came in with like a notepad and took notes on like everything that the tutor said to do and like completed it um, because I was really determined. My parents were really great and kind of emphasizing that, you know, ADHD is like, it's not necessarily a disability, but just kind of an indication that, you know, my brain works differently and that, you know, to be able to thrive in environments where the world isn't really set up to really be compatible with that. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to be dedicated to work on the things that you're not as strong at and then ultimately being able to thrive with the things that you are. So that was kind of my, I guess, other recommendation for parents dealing with kids is just, you know, kind of being able to identify those strengths and the journey that everyone kind of needs to cooperate on. Yeah, really encouraging exploration. It sounds like your parents just any interest that you had, they were helping you to keep exploring it and to keep sort of moving forward, learning more about it, I guess, kind of feeding your curiosity, right? And in coding. Most definitely, yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as long as we keep offering opportunities, something will click at some point. (laughs) You know, you were really fortunate, I think, to figure that out a little bit younger. I know a lot of people with ADHD are late bloomers and it takes a long time to get there. But I think the journey is the important part, like, you know, getting out there, being curious about things, being creative and being really encouraged from your parents and from your teachers to do that. Yeah, most definitely. And what really helped you in school? Was there anything specific that you could pinpoint that really helped you with maybe, you know, some of those executive functioning skills that were difficult or areas where you were often distracted and really struggling. Did you have different sort of accommodations or anything that you found useful at school? Yeah, so I had the regular, you know, time and a half and like all of the accommodations that specifically um, were kind of more catered towards trying to, I guess, like help with what I was diagnosed with. But I think more so, I think coding really did help a lot with a lot of my executive functioning. I think just being able to not only have something that really taught me to be able to kind of organize my thoughts and kind of encoding, you have to create like a lot of documentation. And especially when I was applying for Apple's scholarship program to kind of communicate my thoughts or what I was doing in terms of the different programs or kind of mini apps in a way, I had to be able to kind of like write what I was creating. And subsequently, when I was working on other open source projects or apps, had to create documentation to be able to explain like, okay, this is how you configure like these variables of this technology so that, you know, other developers can, you know, be able to use in the future. And subsequently also like having to understand that with reading comprehension and kind of being forced because like your program won't work unless you really look at all the details. Mm -hmm. And I think for me specifically with the executive functioning, I would definitely scan over most of those details in school and being able to kind of like from coding, learning how to do that translated a lot in my schoolwork to be able to kind of think similarly in terms of being able to document things very clearly and also being able to show those additional instructions and being able to respond accordingly. I think in addition to that, I was really lucky to go to a school that had people that were dedicated to helping kids with learning differences mm-hmm. and learned, you know, how to use highlighters to, you know, highlight different parts of words, how to work with multiple choice tests to be able to prove myself why each like component was wrong because, you know, I'd often skip over them or, you know, not look at them as closely, how to like time your tests to make sure that you're dividing your attention properly. So all of those I think really helped in addition to just being able to kind of learn about those fundamental organization skills Mm -hmm. through having to like develop and write code. 
Yeah. And what would you say to a kid who is really struggling to find that motivation? School is really hard and it hasn't clicked to want to work harder and sort of get around or get through some of these challenges. I see a lot of kids who just kind of give up after a while. And it's really unfortunate because I strongly believe that everybody has gifts within them. You know, we all have greatness. And sometimes it just takes more to find it in a kid who's struggling in, you know, a neurotypical environment like school. What kind of advice would you give to a kid to sort of help them dig deep and find that motivation to keep going? Sure. Yeah. I personally was in like a very similar situation. I started my first year of high school kind of in a very progressive school. Our test for English was write a short story from like the perspective of a goat Mm. from reading a Shakespeare play. And so it was really great for the way that I think. I think more creatively and I think with, Mm -hmm. you know, ADHD, it's like in some respects, if you have more, you know, practical or open-ended sorts of prompts or not even open-ended, but more like real world, things tend to make more sense. And also being more creative, you know, just kind of clicks a lot better. But I then, you know, transferred to another school because they had a better computer science program and I really wanted to take more computer science classes. Yeah. And the classes pretty much turned from being very exploratory and creative and, you know, more different sorts of learning to very focused on, like, how do we get the top AP scores? How do we have all these multiple choice tests that ultimately determine your grades and what you know? And it was a really difficult shift because the way that my brain thinks, you know, Everything that my neurodiversity entails was not geared towards that at all. All of those careless mistakes kind of came back again because, you know, it was a lot less project-based. It was a lot more test-based. And it was really difficult for me for several months. And I think for me, just kind of taking a step back and ultimately, you know, I came to my parents and, like, you know, talked to them about, you know, all of the difficulties, you know, I was facing. And luckily to have really supportive parents that understood, you know, that, there are different ways that we learn and that certain, you know, environments are geared towards different students in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I also would kind of say, like, my parents, like, they were not neurodiverse at all, I think, pretty much growing up, or maybe they just didn't know. They're both doctors and, like, had no trouble with school pretty much most of their lives. So I think that having me as a kid kind of really opened them up to being more open to, like, learning that different types of people learn differently. And, you know, coming to them and talking about my issues, they ultimately like kind of told me who to talk to at my school and was able to, you know, get some of those more strategies in terms of being able to, you know, highlight tests and time them differently in addition. I think in addition to that, you know, after I kind of got my academic issues, I guess, kind of to a more manageable standpoint, Mm -hmm. it still wasn't like completely manageable, but I had this outlet, which was coding. And I really liked being able to take several hours, you know, a day and come home and just being able to, you know, make apps or create. So kind of it was like an incentive to me. So like being able to figure out school in a way was like a way to be able to like know that I had more time to code, you know, at the end of the day. So I was really motivated to, you know, listen to those tutors that I was connected to and to work with my teachers. I would go to office hours pretty much like every option that there was to kind of work through problems that I was having difficulties with. And, you know, there are a lot of other, you know, factors that contribute to your academic success. But I found that kind of like being able to nail down or not having to need to figure out things as well. Or as much during like different tests by kind of doing extra practice and asking for my teachers to give me additional problems to work on made my tests like a lot easier because 
you know, I was able to have extra time to like check over things and, you know, being able to have a lot of those mistakes that I would normally have caught because I had that understanding of the material a lot better than I did previously. Yeah. Yeah. I know it was kind of long-winded, but hopefully that answers the question. No, totally helpful. And what I heard within that too, is that it was beneficial to you to know about your ADHD, right? To have some help with understanding how your brain learns and what is maybe a strength that you can use to help with a weakness and things like that. You know, I think a lot of parents struggle with, do I tell my child about their diagnosis or not? And what I'm hearing you say is that it was really helpful for you to know that information so that you could figure out how you could succeed in school. Yeah, and I'm honestly not sure. Like, my parents kind of gave me my diagnosis in a way. I'm not even sure if, like, they really did. I think they mostly framed it as, like, executive functioning deficit is what's written on all of my papers that go to the school to, like, approve me for different accommodations. And so I was more aware of that, but just having to, like, go through or, like, submit reports and whatnot just kind of found out that way. But I think for me specifically... I don't think anyone ever really told me like, oh, this is kind of a side effect of ADHD. I'm a very strong INTP and I learned that through like a personality test I had to do for kind of a, I guess, an honors program. And then subsequently, I think through like a bunch of Googling, I found that, you know, other INTPs are often, you know, have ADHD and kind of just found out more about ADHD through that. And additionally, just also wanting to create the different programs I did, kind of helping kids with learning disabilities allowed me kind of to just research more about it. Mm-hmm. But I think that was definitely self-motivated and kind of learning about how ADHD kind of interacts with people who are more creative types, but also very technical and kind of coupling that within different aspects of my work. But I think it definitely did help me understand why, you know, the different behaviors that I was experiencing happened. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about a personality test in helping you sort of define how you learn, but it totally can. And there's also a lot of tests for testing what type of learner you are, you know, what you do better with, whether it's audio or visual or kinesthetic or tactile, you know, and I think that's really helpful for families to do too, and to really drill down to exactly what works for you in a school or learning environment, which is exactly what you did. And it really seems like it helped you succeed. Yeah, most definitely. Do you want to talk a little bit about the Trill Project and what that is and why you founded it? I think it would be an important topic to share, too. Sure. So in my last year of high school, I got to be president of my Girls Who Code Club. And I'd been waiting for this pretty much since I had come to school because it was a a club of about like 50 girls who were really passionate about computer science and Specifically, why I was really excited about leading it is because I wanted to have everyone participate in the Technovation Challenge, which is a competition that challenges girls in high school to create apps that help their community. So my group decided to focus on the issue of LGBTQ plus mental health. So one of my best friends who was on my team, she was telling me about how she really struggled coming out. And it was really surprising to me because we were living in Los Angeles and it was a really very liberal environment and community. But ultimately, kind of going towards that issue, found out that 40% of transgender people worldwide attempt suicide. And there's just a huge issue in the LGBTQ plus community amongst mental health. So that friend and a few others 
decided to poll individuals in our high school and also through the broader internet, just trying to see what would really help that community find a better place or find some support through those mental health difficulties. Ultimately decided to create an anonymous social network for mental health support. And we launched pretty much, I can't remember, it was well, about, I think, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And we're able to have about 15,000 people sign up for our beta in the first couple of weeks. And after that, it kind of became a little bit more than, you know, just a Girl Who Code project because we realized that there were a lot of individuals who really needed this sort of technology. Yeah. And ultimately, I personally was able to attend Apple Developers Conference where I was able to get, you know, a lot of mentorship to be able to kind of refine the app in its initial stages. And then eventually we were selected to be part of Apple's entrepreneurship program focused on women entrepreneurs. And at that time, we had already grown to a fair amount of users. And we found that a lot of them experienced mental health difficulties and specifically kind of in the categories of harming themselves, harming somebody else or somebody else harming them. And we're able to, with the help of Apple engineers, create a machine learning model to detect that. So currently, I guess, what the app was until... We officially had to, you know, sunset the app this weekend, but we were, you know, a supportive community with um, about 100 moderators and specifically kind of we expanded past LGBTQ plus teens, but mostly teens and young adults that were able to anonymously and freely express, you know, anything that they might be experiencing that they need support with. And then eventually we found that um, a lot of my co-founder and I were, you know, both in college and Uh, A lot of our other teammates were also in college and, you know, our goal from the beginning was really to solve this problem. And we knew that, you know, our intentions were to like ultimately be in the best place with the best people to ultimately solve it. And so we found that there was another company called Blue Fever that previously had a tech spot for emotional support focused on Gen Z girls. And they had expanded to creating an app that kind of created a very similar community, but also was expanding past Gen Z girls to provide that emotional support and community throughout. So we joined forces with them and now we're a part of Blue Fever and are working with them to create the future of emotional media, which is just creating safe spaces for individuals to really express, you know, how they feel and find support. It's so critical and it's so needed. And I love the idea of it being anonymous. I think that's so important when you put yourself out there online, you know, when it's a risk to be able to get that support without necessarily taking that sort of risk is so, so valuable. How do people take advantage of that? Is Blue Fever an app or what can families who are listening, is there anything for them to use at this time? Yeah, so Blue Fever is an app and it's, I think, 13 plus. So they actually had a wider age range than we actually did. We were 18 plus technically. And so they are very well, you know, moderated and taken care of any family that, you know, has a kid that, you know, really wants a space to freely talk about themselves are able to download Blue Fever. It's structured a little bit differently than Troas. So individuals are able to have different journals. So they're able to kind of post, you know, in longer form text posts or kind of be more mm-hmm. creative with how they express that. And then right now you can add different emotions and I guess kind of like emoticons to like encourage others, but they're working to add comments and additional features to have more ways to support others. Yeah, so amazing. Thank you so much for spending a little time with us and sharing your journey and your story. I know that 
There's so many parents and families listening and hopefully some kids who will hear this and really be encouraged and uplifted and inspired by what you've been able to do to find their own journey and their own successes as well. I will certainly post links to everything we've talked about, Blue Fever and Hackathon and personality tests. There's many things that we've talked about. I will link all of that up in the show notes for everyone listening so that you can learn more. And those show notes are going to be at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 155 for episode 155. And with that, we'll end the episode. Thanks so much again, Ari. Chris, thank you so much for having me. I'll see everyone next time. Thanks for joining me on the Parenting ADHD podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses, parent coaching, and mama retreats at parentingadhdandautism.com.